You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Oz Network. Back for yet another episode of Lost, uh, that show that ended nine years ago. But we are still here to recap it because it's awesome. And we are so close to getting through season three. A long, long season, and we're we're in the end game. Literally, the second last or third last episode of the season. So we're all but finished. Uh, this episode is titled "Greatest Hits." Uh, it's it's not a clip show. That would be great if Lost in season three just decided to do a clip show, uh, showing us the best bits from season one and two and three. But it is, in fact, a Charlie episode. Greatest hits. Very appropriate. Um, this episode was written by Eddie Kitsis, Adam Horowitz, directed by Stephen Williams, uh, focusing on our favorite rock star. So, and my name is Noah, and is this your first plane crash? <laughs> uh, just also, just quickly, I'd probably tell Cable that this show was ended. He doesn't seem to realize that. And uh, my <laughs> name is Ben, and I thought you were going to bring me Rabbit. Uh, so, yeah, we're 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 all but finished with season three. We're very much just this is the penultimate episode if you count the two part one as one episode, and really this is purely just a setup for the finale. Um, so I often view this as kind of part one of a three part finale. Um, but yeah, it's greatest hits. It focuses on Charlie and. I mean, I think it's a really good episode. It it really sets up the epic finale, and you get the sense of, oh, big things are about to happen in this show. Um, compared to, like, Born to Run, which really was not a good setup for the finale, uh, the one where, what, water's getting poisoned or whatever, and Kate wants on the raft. Uh, this one, really, you're starting to feel like, oh, shit, they're building up to something. Um, and the way they work in the Charlie flashback is very appropriate. The whole greatest hits thing fits with his character and it's unique. Um, but yeah, even though it's, it's the setup for something more, there's a lot of good stuff in this episode. Well, uh, I'm sure Born to Run made, uh, the greatest hits of Bruce Springsteen, but I mean, you never know. And <laughs> might have missed out on one of them. I'm not too sure. Uh, yeah, this is a great episode. Um, it's like I mentioned last week. It's just, you can't help but get emotional with some of the scenes in this one, and yeah. you know, like I've, I've, I've maybe not been against Charlie as much as you have been. I think definitely on this rewatch, it's kind of you know he has waned a lot. Kind of you know that he gets a bit on your nerves and kind of does nothing for a large portion of it. And I'm sort of jumping the gun in terms of that he's not dead yet. Spoiler alert, but. I just, I really appreciate this episode kind of with a flashback and just really good acting from Dominic Monaghan in this episode. I think mm. kind of, um, I feel like he's one of these ones that we haven't given a lot of credit for, for his acting, but I, I definitely think he, he is very, very good in this episode. So yeah, no, this is, this is a really good episode. And also we get Bernard and, and, uh, Rose back randomly. <laughs> I wonder They're why back. it does. It does feel very <laughs> forced. I've got to say, like you kind of feel like, okay, something's happened to these two. Um, yeah, I mean, even not knowing Charlie's ultimate fate, it is still got that sad overtone of it, that even though we didn't know what was going to happen with Charlie, 
I imagine watching this, it's still, there's something just really inherently sad about the episode, I think. But then knowing what happens to him, it makes for well, a very strange rewatch of the episode. It's what is so good about this whole storyline, I'm sure we'll talk about in these next few weeks with these episodes, is that it's like if you're watching this for the first time, you're assuming he's not going to die. Like you kind of, you know, like, oh, they're not going to do it. Like, you know, but like, it's just, it's done. It's written so well that it's kind of got this, will he, won't he? And then kind of even just moments like in this episode at the end with Desmond, you know, saying like, I'll take your, I'll take your place. And then just other moments that we have kind of in the coming weeks where it's kind of like, oh, you think he's not going to die, but then ultimately he will. It's just, it's just done so goddamn well. Um, that it's just, it's sowing the seeds so beautifully in this episode for it. And this is one of those episodes that shows, of course, Lost had action, comedy, and at its core had mystery, but really at its main core, this show is about these characters, and this is where I'll defend the finale of, sure, they made some, I'm talking about the big season six finale, of course they made some mistakes, but this show is just about the characters at the very heart of it. And an episode like this, even though we have like, oh, Desmond, he's flashing and seeing things. It's about the emotion of these characters. And this is where the show, while they wave it a bit with like the mysteries and the ultimate plot, something's got a bit silly and whatnot. The characters and the character development stuck from season one to six. And that's where the aspect of this show that I'll defend to the grave is how well they treated the characters and how emotional and how much we could connect with these characters. Like, I'm not a Charlie fan. I'm I'm a ball in this episode and the next episode. Like, this just episode proves how well Lost does characters, I think. Mm, I, I completely agree. And, yeah, I mean, even the most, I guess, biggest Lost haters... Um, you know, or ones who kind of just complain about this show and everything, like, they just can't deny exactly what you just said about the characters. Uh, you know, some of the best written characters, I think, ever that I've ever seen in TV. Yeah. Um, it is funny, this is a Charlie episode. If I think back to The Moth, <laughs> I've been to that episode. Homecoming, I'm pretty sure you've been to that episode. Yep. And Fire Plus Water, we both been. <laughs> So interesting to see what happens with with greatest hits. Is it finally some redemption for Charlie after the constant binnings of his episode? The male Kate um, for you, clearly. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've been to two Charlie episodes. You've been oh, you've been two as well, just different one. Did I bin them? Um, I think you binned Homecoming. From oh memory. yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I did Homecoming and Fire Plus. You're right. You're right. Uh, where Charlie becomes a printer salesman. Um, <laughs> well, I've always wanted to see. I hope, I hope in Star Wars he's a printer salesman. <laughs> I think we can go through the five moments pretty quickly. It's a unique flashback. Um, but basically, he's writing throughout the episode his greatest hits, which is so appropriate for Charlie, like, was there anything else we really needed to see from a flashback other than just, well, this he's not had the best life, but let's look on his shining moments. Uh, I think it's much better than, like, Lock on the Weed Farm or Jack's Tattoos. If, if there's no story left to tell, then this was a great kind of way of still doing a Charlie episode that resonated, I think. Um, so do you like the format of 
like Charlie's greatest hits that fits with the whole rock star thing and showing different flashes from his life. Uh, yeah, I love it. I think it's great. It's very clever. And particularly when we find out exactly what the note is that he's writing, like it's kind of, it's not apparent mm. straight away what he's doing. So I kind of think that's where it's so well done, so well written. And I, it just fits again, kind of going in with this arc of like the fact that, you know, if you're watching this for the very first time, and again, you're probably thinking, well, he's not really going to die, but it's kind of, it's nice that we kind of get this little moment. And I just, yeah, I I really, really like it. And it's kind of like some of them you think to yourself, like, is that really like one of his best moments of his life? <laughs> like he learned to swim. Cool. Uh, but I mean, you can understand like the, the being played on the radio thing for sure. Like that ring bit's kind of cool. The hero bit's a bit odd, even though that's Nadia, right? Like I'm not dumb. That is Nadia, isn't it? Um, so, and then obviously like the Claire bit, you're kind of like, oh. I, I, I do really like, I know I'm jumping here, but I really do love that, you know, first plane crash. And it's like, how can you tell? Oh, you can always tell the newbies. <laughs> like, it's just such a great line. But number five of his greatest moments is, uh, yeah, hearing the, you all, everybody's drive chart for the first time on radio. Um, and he was ready to quit the band again. Liam, I've had enough. I'm quitting. We're broken down. Uh, we have to get to the gig. And then everyone, quiet down. And they hear you all, everybody. Um, now, this is a quite funny because you are actually <laughs> the first person to play my band on the radio. <laughs> it's not going on my greatest well, well, I was thinking, like, legitimately, like, they're all excited of this. And I was thinking, like, what if they're, like, that's, like, Edge Radio? Like, I mean, it's, like, how do they – is that a big thing? <laughs> like, I mean, you make a very good point. The first time you were ever on the radio was on my show. And, God, we've gone on to great things. So, uh, <laughs> like, this is just community FM in rural UK. <laughs> Yeah, this college radio. Um, it is a nice scene, though, fitting with the whole band thing and hearing you all, everybody, one last time. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, it does make you think you playing my song on the radio is definitely not on my greatest hits. But this episode did make me think, oh, what would be my greatest hits? Um, couldn't think of any. Well, I was going to say meeting <laughs> you, but fuck off. Like, see where I mean to, what I mean to you now. The awkward moment when I am on somebody's greatest hits, but they're not on mine. That's the story of my life. Like every single person. <laughs> oh, that's awkward, Ben. <laughs> it's like, you know, when My Name is Earl came back and all these people were making their list. or came on. They were making these lists. I wonder if anyone made a greatest hits after watching. My Name Lost. is Earl. God, Malcolm. Bring back My week. Name is My Name is Earl this week. <laughs> Next week... Well, there's no Murphy Brown reboot to talk about. Next week, we revisit Veronica's Closet um, and suddenly Susan coming soon as well. <laughs> Bring back suddenly Susan. Ah, uh, I like suddenly Susan. Brooke Shields? <laughs> of course you do. I love Brooke Shields. What's wrong with Brooke Shields? Bring back Brooke Shields. <laughs> what is... Is there anything jumps to mind that's on your greatest hits? Oh, uh, interviewing Michael Schumacher, probably, mm-hmm. straight away. Um, Number one? Yeah, I probably would be. Um, oh. I, I, like, seriously, that uh, often. Uh, I don't know, like, I mean, there's lots of, like, personal things in that, but, like, I don't know, like, I think of other, like, 
I mean, going to the Survivor finale sounds like a dumb one, but that was kind of cool, like, getting to experience I mean, that. learn to swim was on Charlie. Yeah. So that dumb. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, going overseas for the first time. I don't know. Like, I, I couldn't whittle it down to five. I'm in, this, I'm in this zone at the moment where I'm making lists anyway. Like, I just did my top 100 songs of all time. I'm doing my top 50 movies and my top 50 TV shows of all time at the moment. So, like, fuck, I'll probably end up doing this. It's some day, like, top 50 moments of my life. Like, because everybody wants to <laughs> so know. We're all dying to. <laughs> yeah, everyone just, Brooke Shields just texted me, hurry up, Ben, I want to read it. <laughs> um, yeah, it is hard. It is hard to think, though, because, like, you have good moments in your life, but then once they go, you don't think, oh, that was, God, wasn't that Number four best thing that's ever happened to me. I think, yeah, I, don't, I think it'd be a case of like rank, but like, I mean, you, you could legitimately sit here and just think of amazing moments in your life that you remember you'll never forget and that, you know, for whatever reason, they hold close to your heart. I mean, you know, obvious ones of proposing to Mallory and like, you know, meeting Mallory and breaking up with Mallory. <laughs> <laughs> um, killing Mallory. Killing Mallory, eating her corpse, going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> Marrying uh, uh, what, what was the sixteen-year-old Hutchinson's uh, wife? Yeah, I thought you were talking about Louise there for a second. No, um, the, <laughs> that, that was that actress Louise. that I hired for a while. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like it's <laughs> you know, and I mean, but I mean, like in all honesty, like you know, like Charlie put learning to swim. Like I'm sure we've all got like random little moments that we would have that kind of seem pointless to other people learning to shit <laughs> well the day i actually learn to ride a bike that might make it so i still don't know how to so yeah you don't know how to ride a bike no i don't i do not know how to ride a bike <laughs> it's a true story i don't know how to ride a bike like that's a legitimate thing i don't know how to do does mallory yes well she should teach you <laughs> This is like the whole, you should watch Game of Thrones thing. I've had this my whole life. Someone should teach you how to ride a bike, Ben. Like, why? In case there's an emergency bike race I've got to attend? <laughs> well, joke's on you. <laughs> Shit, damn. Everyone in the world must die unless they ride the emergency bike race. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's hard to think of uh, five. I can't even think of one. I've had many, but... Uh, it's hard to even think. Um, but, yeah, speaking of number, uh, speaking of kind of air ones, number four, Charlie learning to swim. Now, obviously, uh, this is to kind of play in with the whole he's swimming down to the station. That's why it's in this episode. But it, it's random, right? Yeah, I mean, I... Everyone's learned to swim. Well, it's like a thing we have to do in Australia. Like, it's part of your school. It's like you get swimming classes and shit. So I couldn't tell you the exact... And, like, is this the exact moment he could swim? If This is him jumping in a pool and his dad going... <laughs> like, I mean, that's a gradual thing that you learn to swim. It's not like you just get in the... Like, Ian Thorpe wasn't jumping in the water. And I'm like, fuck, I can swim. I'm going to the Olympics. Like, you've got to learn. So, it's... Uh, do you remember when poor Joanna and Boone were drowning and Charlie runs out on the beach saying, I don't swim! I don't swim! <laughs> I, I, I was going to bring that up when uh, later on when Charlie's all like, oh, I was English school champion, I can hold my breath for four minutes. So, I'm... well, Joanna would be alive right now. <laughs> and it's like, well, Boone told me he was a lifeguard and clearly that didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, if Boone so... was still alive in this episode, I'll do it! I'll do it. 
So that's a bit of a inconsistent, uh, like you know, let's not pretend lost is perfect. There are inconsistencies, but poor Joanna died because Charlie claimed he couldn't swim. <laughs> now it's one of his greatest hits, learning <laughs> to swim. Um, but yeah, it's it's weird. It's purely there because of the whole the whole thing with the diving down. Um, Why does and Jack this, this say young... anything? Like, hang on a minute. Why didn't you rescue Joanna? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't swim. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Joanna. <laughs> she died because Charlie couldn't be bothered swimming. I can't swim. You swim chat. It's his greatest hits. Jack, Jack just doesn't remember. It's all Jack's fault. <laughs> um, yeah. The 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 guy who plays uh, young Charlie uh, later goes on to voice Finn the human from Adventure Time. Ah, oh, of course he does. For random connection. Uh, he's not English either, but he does, he does a a fair job for a child. What does his dad say? Yeah. Jump in, Charlie, you daft. <laughs> <Don't say prick. laughs> I always love it when they have English. Like It's even funnier than the Australians on the show. Like, hello, Cobber, how are you doing? And like, yeah. Come on, you daft boy, jump in the water. But, but like, the thing is, you know, he's all like, you're not going to catch me, you're going to drop me. And, like, he sort of doesn't catch him. Like, he actually lets him jump in the water <laughs> while lifting him up. Daddy, I'm doing it. Like, no, you let him jump in. Yeah, it's definitely the worst of the greatest hits here. It's it's quite cringy, um, but I guess it's cool to see it, like a younger moment in his life. And I guess his dad's not being a dick here. His dad's being fine for once. We've got a um, nice dad moment. Yeah. Uh, so number three is uh, Charlie has a threesome. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, that's in mine as well. That would be great if that's what the time I had a threesome on Christmas. <laughs> Gives it to Claire. With Finnish, with um, Finnish uh, twins or whatever they are. Uh, the time I had a Finnish threesome on Christmas time. Oh, uh, yeah, but I do like that Liam walks in and he's like, are they the girls from the second row? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> the second row. Um, Not good enough for the first row, like... <laughs> Like, was this a seated gig? <laughs> that's not very rock and roll. It was it was drive shaft performing the London Symphony Orchestra. <laughs> yeah, the girls from the second row. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's Christmas time. Charlie's just woken up from a threesome, and they're in Helsinki. Uh, and this is quite a nice moment. Uh, last time we'll see Liam, baby brother. And he gives Charlie the drive shaft ring. Um, but they kind of, they do this weird retconning thing that DS stands for uh, Dexter Stratton. And, <laughs> and it's a little cringy though. Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dexter Stratton. And that's why we named the band Drive Shaft. I know. Like, it's a little cringy the way they've written that in. Um, but it turns out the DS ring is a family heirloom, and now it's being passed on to Charlie. It's quite sad, though, because Liam's talking about, you're the one who's going to get married and go on to great things, and really, in the end, it was Liam. Charlie's about to be gone before the age of 30. Liam ended up having a daughter, getting clean. So it's quite sad to look back on. Uh, but 
Charlie does say in the pilot, yeah, drive shaft. I've got the ring, second tour of Finland. Mm. So I do like that, even though they have an inconsistency with uh, episode five of season one with I Don't Swim, at least they got the consistency with uh, episode one of the entire series. Uh, it's quite a fitting, touching uh, farewell to Liam, I think. Yeah. I, you know, Liam was okay. I think we realised um, uh, in our Nip Tuck ones that he uh, plays Sean's random brother that appears for one episode, is never mentioned beforehand, never mentioned again in one of the worst episodes of Nip Tuck because, hey, look, random brother. Um, but... Yeah, I, 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 I like it. I think it's a it's a nice little moment. Um so rip rip Liam, I guess we are when he's probably is he dead? I don't know. Um he's still alive. Yeah. Uh but yeah, Charlie does say that he'll hold on to it, but he won't take the ring. So sad. Um Number two is Charlie Busking. Charlie is a terrible musician. <laughs> so maybe you one that's like he's really not good. Uh, and then the rain comes down because, of course, it's England, so it has to be raining. Uh, and then we see, help me, help me, in the alleyway, it's Nadia. So I guess this is between her leaving Iraq and ending up in L.A. She was in England for a bit. Getting mugged. Um, <laughs> getting, getting mugged. Racist people. What in is England she doing in the alley? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good point. It's kind of bad an alley, but then she's just getting mugged. Uh, trying to find Saeed in purgatory. That's what she's doing. Yeah. Saeed, Excuse me, you in here? do you know where the church is? <laughs> <laughs> it's the, the, the mugger is terrible here. Yeah, what is he? Way this scene, like... <laughs> just runs off. He's like, ah, <laughs> what mugger are you? <laughs> he had the bag as well. He did. Like, come on. He drops it. Mugger properly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he he does a bad job, the mugger, I think. Um, but it, it is Nadia, which, again, it didn't have to be Nadia, but I just love this, these little connections of, of course it didn't have to, but now we can place Nadia of, oh, she was in England at some point while while Saeed was looking for her. Um, so it, it's just these little connections that, of course, it could have been any old girl, but I like that they put this whole Nadia thing in. I agree, and I think it's kind of one of these ones that it's not glaringly obvious either. Um, no, that's what's great about it, though. Yeah, you and, could miss this. Well, I mean, that's why I sort of asked you, like, that's Nadia, right? Like, I'm not dumb. Because like, we talked about that with her, I think, too, in the interview from memory. Um, so... Yeah, I I I'd like these kind of little subtle things that they do, uh, and kind of you know connect it with it. But yeah, Charlie, not the best singer. <laughs> we got third maybe, and is that the only thing that people from like the UK sing? <laughs> it's not the first time we've seen him singing. <laughs> I, just, um, I just want to see him and Claire do a duet. I said, baby. <laughs> baby. Baby. My baby. I'm trying to be make the father baby. of my baby. <laughs> my baby. And after <laughs> all, you drive me up the wall. Unfortunately, there is no page for mugger. Oh, oh no, come no on. <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> he is a terrible mugger, though. He's like, the worst mugger. <laughs> he's bad at getting a bag, and then he just drops it, runs away, and and he even dresses like a mugger. He's a bad mugger. Charlie's guitar has a page, and yet <laughs> <laughs> Wonderwall has a page. <laughs> Poor old mugger. Oh, God. Um, I've robbed people I, I, better than he has. <laughs> yeah, this podcast. Um, but she says that three people walked by the alley. Uh, who does that? I know it does happen in real life, this whole bystander thing, but it's like... Would you stop someone? Well, I don't know if I'd stop him. I'm sure I'd call the cops. <laughs> you just go, hey! <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know if I, I would do what Charlie did. I'm almost certain I probably wouldn't. But I would. I'd like to think I'd call the cops. I'd probably just keep walking. <laughs> you were one of those three people. No, Actually, no. it was you. You, you three times. You went back to check. Oh, I, I was nervous. I'm like, again. oh, should I? No, no. Or oh, maybe I should. No, no. Or could I? Oh, oh I should tell <laughs> uh, And then she said, "You sir are a hero. Don't let anyone tell you to." I mean, that is also a weird thing to say. Don't let anyone tell you you're not. <laughs> so okay. what's he going to say if somebody says like to him, you're not a hero? No, hang on a minute. That woman that I rescued but in an alley. Woman... And then what happens What happens after this scene? Does he just say, all right, bye? Does he like try and hook up with Nadia? Like, is there a thing? I want to see, like, you know. Yeah, like that would be a good plot twist. <laughs> then um, Charlie ends up with Nadia in the church. In the church. And then Saeed goes, Nadia, what are you doing here? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. This is awkward. I don't know this. He is not a hero. <laughs> I didn't know you'd be I... in the church. I didn't think you'd be in the church. But now you are. <laughs> I do like number three had a, a, a threesome with some finished twins. Number two banged Nadia. <laughs> It's Number Charlie's one, sex list. went back to my tent and finished myself off after <laughs> meeting you. Uh, so then, number one, his greatest hit. Now, this is a touching scene. Um, I always like it when this show flashes back to moments that have happened after the beginning point of the show. Um, so we're getting a flashback to basically the pilot uh, and this is where the chronological loss thing would go in, that we would see this during the pilot episode. Uh, but this is the first night of the crash, uh, and Charlie comes and he meets Claire for the first ever time, gives his blanket, and we have that line, so, first plane crash, what gave it away? <laughs> uh, you can always spot the newbies. Uh, and he basically tells Claire, oh, everything is going to be all right. Even though there's not really anything in this scene, like it doesn't give us anything new other than their meeting, it is really touching and quite sad, I think. Yeah. Uh, and that he writes, number one, the night I met you. Um, I really like the scene. You know my feelings on Claire, this rewatch and everything. But just flashing back to the pilot and they're wearing the same clothes and everything and they do a good job of making it feel like that. And just getting to see this... It makes you think of, oh, yeah, there were all these moments early on of these characters meeting that we never actually got to see on the show. Like, it's it's like Survivor. It's 40 minutes of an episode, but these these characters have lives going on on this island. 
I think it's fascinating too, and we'll maybe talk a bit more about it when we kind of see their their final scene. But I think the Claire and Charlie sort of storyline romance, it's never one that... Like, I always forget that they have a kiss, if you know what I mean. Like, it's kind of... It's not Mm -hmm. like they're banging each other in the tent and things like that. It's kind of like a subtle romance that is there, but it's not. And I think it's just... It's weirdly done... And but it's done well, I think. It's kind of you don't always just have to have characters banging each other every five seconds to show that they're together. You know, you can kind of have this friendship with kissing um, that kind of they don't know what they're they're doing. Um, <laughs> Sounds like, like my dream. It's what Noah and I have, everyone, if you're wondering. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was one time when you promised never to tell. Launceston does that to us. What can I say? Um, but um, yeah, I, I, I like <laughs> number three tonight. Noah and I finally made out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the chemistry has been there forever. Uh, <laughs> I've lost the point. I don't... Uh, we went to Wynyard together and we just fell in love. Things have never been the same. <laughs> what happens in Wynyard stays in Wynyard. Remember when we couldn't get out of Wynyard? We went yeah. down that murderous gully road and it took us down to like... Back to Wynyard. <laughs> we couldn't leave the place. <laughs> Good times. Um, I, I agree, though, but this is what makes it almost one of the best relationships in the show is because it's so natural in that it's more real life that they just started as friends and it develops into something a bit more. Mm. There's some kissing, but it's not like a, some sort of love triangle and they have tension and well, they're lock. never really a couple, but well, yeah, gummy <laughs> Joe was in there for a bit. But, um, this is why, even though it's not all time greatest romance, as I was saying, it always makes it one of the better relationships. It's more natural than Jack and Kate, Kate and Sawyer and Jack and Juliet and Sawyer and Juliet, all this, which is very Hollywood in that, that this relationship, because it's more forgotten about, makes it more, I don't know if realistic is the right word, but it makes it I feel more natural. I think. I think realistic is a very good word, and I think you, you're absolutely right. I think that, you know, while it's great to see some of these storylines, like, I mean, you're always going to have the hot chick, the hot guy, the other hot guy kind of like all fighting over who they're going to bang. And like, I'm not saying that, Claire and Charlie aren't hot, but it's kind of like they're not the central <laughs> focus. And it's kind of... Why is that funny? Um, it's just... <laughs> Claire and Charlie are not hot. Are you saying I'm unattractive? Shut up, Claire. Um, yeah, I, I think it's... Oh, it's, I it's cute. Yeah, you know, she's... Yeah, you, you wouldn't say no, but you wouldn't say... I don't know where I'm going. Shut up. It's, oh, Kimberly. No. <laughs> She's no Rose, but um, no. anyway, the point is I agree with you. I think, yeah, it's, it is a very natural, realistic relationship. Yeah, so it's quite a touching number one, and it ties in with the whole reason he's making this list. Um, but, yeah, I really like the flashback as well. I think it's a fitting end for Charlie's last flashback and seeing these moments flash through his life, and it does make you quite emotional knowing what's coming, I think. Yes, don't get me started. Uh, so let's move on to the island proper. Uh, mainly just one plot line this week. Um, so it starts with Carl running to the outrigger and 
running super fast. Um, and then speedy we cut Carl. to the main. Yeah, speedy Carl. It's been a while since we've seen old Carl. Um, <laughs> Carl. <laughs> Uh, now everyone is marching with Jack. We get this epic kind of a finale march. We'll get more finale marching um, to this big open space. And we learn that the others are coming tomorrow, but he's come up with a plan. I do like kind of the single fire runs on a little excursion. Um, <laughs> and then Jack goes, I love how Claire's Daniel! there. <laughs> Sorry, I just, yeah. this is the first time Claire's ever come on an excursion. <laughs> Oh, the first time she's done anything. Where are we going, Jack? And, and then I love... But then not everyone is there, so I wonder who, uh, how they decided who gets to see this. But anyway, Jack yells, Danielle, Danielle. Bonjour. Uh, <laughs> bonjour, I'm back. Uh, and Danielle blows up a tree. <laughs> and my big note that I wrote down this week was, why does she have to show them? <laughs> Why does Jack have to take them to this wide open space, get Rousseau, who's been waiting for him, to blow up a tree just to tell them, oh, yeah, we're going to use dynamite. They wouldn't believe him. They would have been like, we're going to blow I, up the camp. I don't believe you, Jack. I need to see you blow yeah. something up. Art's dying. Yeah. Hell, he just needs to go, he's a bit of art still on me. Like, do you not believe they've got dynamite? Like, to trust trust our hero to put on a big theatrical show just to show them like they could be using this time to set up the dynamite they're just wasting time right now michael bay like, jack yeah I, I i like the uh the scene the scenery like this big wide open grass location <laughs> seems a little over the top to get rousseau to be waiting there to blow up a tree right she's got other things to um, do she's a busy french woman yeah, but this does kind of answer that question of that random scene of uh, Rousseau picking up dynamite in the brig from the Black Rock. <laughs> I do like that uh, Jack says, oh, yeah, Rousseau's been bringing, for the past few days, has been bringing crates of dynamite. <laughs> How did Jack rope her into the, bringing these crates of dynamite back Bonjour. for the past few days? You busy, are you, today? Yeah. Not really. Can you get me some dynamite? Okay. But this is where I love uh, the connections that this show does, that they randomly had a scene of Rousseau getting dynamite four weeks ago, and then we're like, oh, well, that was what she was doing. It kind of plays in with Jack's known this plan for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, how did he find Rousseau? <laughs> it's a big island. He's going, he's going out in the, the jungle at night for a quickie. Like We've already gone over that Rousseau's been lonely for some time, so... <laughs> I will get you the dynamite um, if you provide me some services. I do, uh, you know, our hero, I'm not sure we can trust him, Jack asks, he He's pretty epic with his speech here where he's talking about, first I thought that we would hide, uh, but we're done hiding. Uh, we'll be waiting for them. Um, and he talks about Juliet will still mark the tents. I love we know that Sun's the only pregnant one, but as we mentioned last week, we've like mark all the tents. He said Juliet will mark the tent, but there won't be any pregnant women inside. <laughs> <laughs> How many of these women are pregnant on this island? I just want to see the others' reaction when they like open a tent and there's poor old Bernard. Like what? <laughs> uh, there won't be any pregnant women. We stop hiding, running, and living in fear. When they show up, we're gonna blow them all to hell. <laughs> I actually really it like is a Jack nice this episode. Ju- I love Jack this episode. 
Yeah, I mean, I've not been a fan of him throughout the whole show, and especially lately, but it is getting pretty epic. Um, it shows how far they've come from season one finale when Rousseau popped up, the others are coming. And you have three options, run, hide, or die. Now, season three finale almost, and we're saying we're going to blow them all to hell. Yeah, That shows how far we've come on this show, that the others and the survivors are about to go to war. Um, it is pretty epic, though, right? Like It's a cheesy action hero line, but it's, it's pretty cool, right? No, we need some redeemingness of Jackness, uh, you know, and... <laughs> This this is why Matthew Fox hates acting because you know he's just he's just too good at it. He's like ugh, <laughs> he's blowing up trees. He's actually an environmentalist. <laughs> so this, this, this is, is the scene that him. killed him. Yep, like this is <laughs> it, it, it destroyed his, um, you know his his love of acting. So that's why. For, for Kate, it was the bear cage scene. Yep. yep. For for Jack, it was blowing up a tree. Yep. Um, but later we're on the beach and we have Naomi. I guess. She, no one's looking after her. She's roaming around the island. Uh, and she's asking Charlie uh, who they're going about to go to war with, which from her point of view, this must be very strange. But uh, we learned they're both from Manchester. And then uh, Naomi knows drive shop. Yeah, fellow Manchurian. You're from Manchester. Uh, yeah, I was in the band Drive Shaft. Oh, yeah, I know them. Uh you're the dead rock star. I like Obviously, that. the survivors died. I like because it, it's our first kind of glimpse into the outside world other than the end of season two at the Arctic base. We've not really had any connection with the outside world. So it's like a little line that just makes you think, oh, what would have happened if we were on the other side of this plane crash? But I, I like too that because um, doesn't he say in one of the episodes like we're going to go back and we're going to be all famous because you know yeah. people think and so I, I like the fact that that's true and like you never kind of see it like it would have been cool to kind of see like even just in the background like a, a poster or something like of you know oh rip drive shaft or whatever because like this is something that would happen I mean we've seen this with numerous singers who maybe aren't in the biggest band in the world but I mean all of a sudden like no disrespect to someone like Chris Cornell like I personally had only really heard of him from when he did the James Bond song, like, I wasn't familiar too much with like Soundgarden and that sort of stuff. So to me, you know, when that he died, it kind of brought all this attention on his sort of previous work that I wasn't really that familiar with. So you could see that this would happen, and I like, I just like that line. Although I do have to say, when they say, "Oh yeah, they released the greatest hits," had they only released one album? They they had two albums. Two so albums. <laughs> half the songs from Drive Shaft Greatest Hits would have been from one album. <laughs> half would have been. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's touching of them to release the greatest hits, but you have to imagine this is just the record labels cashing. It seems like a touching moment, but if we really think about it, Drive Shaft Greatest Hits is the record label cashing in on someone's death. Um, I, I worked, when but, I was at Sanity, I worked the day that Heath Ledger died, and basically within five minutes of being announced, we got an email from our head office going, Heath Ledger's died, make sure all the DVDs are at the front so people can see them. <laughs> <laughs> Rest in peace. They're like, here's a list of his movies. <laughs> and then the day I worked, uh, the night that Michael Jackson died, and we'd sold out, like hours before and like every single customer that came in that day was do you have any michael jackson do you have any michael jackson do you have any michael jackson so it's like okay you but you have, you have to imagine like think of this uh malaysian airlines one that disappeared mm. if there was a obviously the base player of drive shaft is not a household name but if there was a semi-famous english musician liam gallagher on that plate 
Well, I mean, he's quite famous. Like, even lower. Like, let's say the bass player from Blur. <laughs> Most people can't name the bass player from Blur. Can you name the bass the... player from Blur? No, I can't. But if the bass player from Blur died in the Malaysian air, that's going to dominate the press, right? Even Alex though he's not James super famous. Is his name. If Alex James <laughs> died in the Malaysian crash... Yeah, he's no, not super famous. That's going to be everywhere. The news headlines are going to be, "Oh, this plane crash died. Rock star was a part of it." Like they're going to jump on that celebrity familiarity angle. There. It happened. I mean, to a lesser extent, obviously with nine eleven, there was a lot of people who died. But like, there was, they'd always be like, "Oh, the famous people," because there was a one of the writers of Frasier, I think, was on one of the planes in nine eleven, so that got a bit of news and. I mean, outside, like, Seth MacFarlane was on one of the planes, but then changed his flight last minute. So, like, kind of that's had a bit of publicity in the years afterwards. But, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It would be. So, I like how we kind of have this, that it's kind of... It, 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 it is quite funny to think, though, like, from this plane crash, Oceanic 815, of all these characters we've come to know to love, Charlie is the one that would have dominated the press about this plane crash. Kind of interesting. Um... But anyway, uh, yeah, so we know there's a new Greatest Hits Drive Shaft album. Um, I love that she first says a new album. I'm thinking, well, that's not nice. That means they've replaced him. Yeah. But then they say it's a Greatest Hits album. Um, who who replaces? Alex James? <laughs> Alex James. <laughs> it is a nice fitting ending for Charlie for him to know that he finally got some of that recognition that he wanted, uh, that now he's a household name. Is It's, it's touching. Yeah. Um, but then Jack and Juliet, they're setting up the dynamite. Uh, and this is where Saeed and Jack are clashing throughout the episode. Saeed wants to talk about the sat phone to fix. Uh, and Jack, no, we're not dealing with that. We got, we're doing the dynamite. And I love Saeed. I'm trying to get us off this island, Jack. <laughs> Mark drop. So Jack finally will listen to him because he's like walking away from Saeed. Uh and Syed reveals his plan of he wants to get rid of the French transmission that we heard in the pilot. Um, and then this is where Juliet comes in handy because she reveals that they're actually jamming the signal, which is another kind of heartbreaking moment to think of Rousseau. It's such a weird thing to hear that this has been on a loop for 16 years when we first heard it in the pilot. And it brings an even more sinister tone knowing that no one has heard her signal. It's literally been jammed this entire time for 16 years. So any hope that she had that the others have just been messing with this woman is quite sinister if you really think about it. She's been like going, bonjour, bonjour, and it's just talking to herself. Just so rude. Yeah. It's it's a, almost a little heartbreaking for Rousseau there. Um but she reveals that there's a station underwater, the looking glass, um, and later that will be an answer of what was the rope, which, again, a lot of stuff from season one is kind of coming full circle here, transmission and um, the the underwater cable, which was such a random like scene in season one, is now getting an answer. So for people to say they shouldn't have answered anything, come on. You wrong, um, motherfucker. Yeah, there's literally two things from early season one that's being brought up here. Um, and then we have a nice little scene of Charlie promising he'll protect Claire and Aaron. Um, Desmond pops up. Uh, Charlie, can you help me? 
<laughs> and Charlie's had enough. He wants to know how he's going to die. And this is where Desmond reveals that uh, he sees Claire and Aaron getting in a helicopter and they're leaving the island. And Charlie's really happy. That's great. Uh, but he says, uh, if Charlie doesn't die, there won't be a rescue. Uh, and he wants to know how. And Desmond says, well, you go into the station, you flick off the switch, light goes off, and then you drown, Charlie. Uh, but he doesn't know when. There are a few holes with this. Firstly, how does Desmond know this won't happen if Charlie doesn't die? Like, I get that he's been trying to prevent his death, but how does he know that Claire won't be rescued if Charlie, that he has to die? And secondly, the biggest kind of, it's such a touching kind of moment going on here, but it's kind of diminished by the fact that Claire and Aaron never get on the helicopter. Yeah. I was thinking that. I'm thinking, like, is there something that happens that prevents them from this happening? Because, yeah, that doesn't actually happen. Yeah. Like, this moment would be a little more touching if Charlie didn't... I wouldn't say that Charlie died in vain. Like, there was... They did get ultimately rescued because of his death, and he is important in the overall storyline. But it's not clear... (laughs) I mean, Aaron gets in the helicopter, so if they just cut the Claire line, it may have been fit a little better, but, yeah. Do you think maybe, it though, that, that Desmond, maybe he knows, but but by him t- saying that Claire gets rescued, that's going to give Charlie the motivation? Well, we can run with that. That will be our, our fan cannon. I guess that makes sense. Um, but, yeah, it is sad. Like, Charlie, it's time. If you don't die... Of course, at this point, though, I think a lot of viewers were thinking, well, Charlie might live. Um, I definitely didn't think... I, I was not on the the side of he's definitely going to die. I thought they were still going to throw like some curveball of, Same. no, I lived and she got rescued. Um, so then Saeed is showing Julia a map of the looking glass uh, and she said that Ben has told them that the station was flooded. Uh, but Saeed said, there's a moon pool we can swim in to. Uh, and this is where Charlie, we've already mentioned it, volunteers, because he, obviously, Desmond's has just revealed that. And, yeah, I was junior swim champion. Uh, uh, and they don't want him to go, because, of course, it's always Charlie. We saw in the moth, they didn't want him to help. Like, You're always in the way, Charlie. Um, and Jack, Jack just really wants to focus on the others first. Saeed really wants to get rescued. Jack's just really... I really want to focus on the the others. Okay, then we'll do this other stuff. Um, and then finally, Rose and Bernard, they're back. Finally. Um, I forgot they were in this episode. I thought it was next episode they came back, but it's so nice to see them again. Um, and a classic Rose and Bernard, they're tying knots, and Bernard, no, it goes like this. And... and and then, of course, silly Bernard, the knot comes untied. Um, so nice to see them finally back. Uh, and then there is uh, Sun and Jin. Now, I've got a question to ask you. This Sun and Jin moment, were there subtitles? Um, yeah, when that, when she's questioning, he's questioning her about when, when he says, are you going to tell me? This is so fascinating. Because I'm watching on Korean Netflix. No subtitles. Oh, really? Oh, there you go. And well, are there subtitles of the English bit? Uh, 
like are there Korean subtitles for the English parts? Oh no no no! I've got that turned off. Um, ah. But what was so fascinating is that. Uh, like normally there are times when Sun and Jin talk and they don't have subtitles, like little moments. Mm. But I'm thinking, God, this is going on for... <laughs> no, there was there was definitely subtitles to this bit because, yeah, he's asking her, when are you going to tell me? I heard my name mentioned... I heard Juliet mention your name. And then he, she says that um, he saw, she saw the baby. Well, thanks for filling me in. You're welcome. Um, you don't have your loss inside. Isn't that fascinating, you? though? Yeah. Well, they... I guess it makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, I know, but it doesn't hurt to have the English subtitles that were in the original episode. But yeah, interesting. Though. Would they would they be there? Like, if you turned on the Korean subtitles and they turned English, do you think? Mm, maybe. I didn't care enough to test. <laughs> <laughs> um... It is fascinating, though, because I was just thinking, God, this is going on for a while without subtitles. Um, wonder what they're saying. Uh, and then Hurley spots Carl on the outrigger, so this ties in with the beginning. And I love this moment of Saeed just absolutely <laughs> yelled again, tackling him down. Like, action Take that, Carl. It's a great scene, I think. Like, Sorry, I love it. Carl's always getting bashed. <laughs> I do like Sawyer, though. No, I know this guy. <laughs> He was in the cages with me. My favourite bit is when uh, Carl, like, basically uh, outs Juliet, and Juliet's just like, they know Carl, but thanks. <laughs> I just love it because if this was two weeks ago, we, the framing of this would be completely... Like, they make Carl seem like an idiot with the way Juliet talks to him, like he's 10 years old. But really, if this was two days earlier, he would be doing them all a great service by calling her out. Yeah. But the way they frame it of, like, oh, there's Carl... Um, but this is Carl. like Carl. He sucks as a character. This is his shining moment from his time on the show. I think when he he tells them that the others are coming, and they all say, "Yes, Carl, we know, we know." Uh, yeah, Carl, they're coming tomorrow. No, tomorrow, no, they're coming tonight. They're coming right now. <laughs> Cut to commercial. Got to give it to him. That's a great moment from Carl. His shining moment, that and asking if uh, he was going to get some rabbit earlier. <laughs> but then it, it's a great moment, but it does make you think, like, oh, God, like, this is about to get intense if they're coming right now. Um, then in one of Lost's weirdest episode structure decisions ever, I guess you can kind of say this is a Carl flashback episode as well, in a <laughs> way. It's a really weird structure that Lost doesn't normally do. That in the middle of a Charlie episode, then we get this six hours ago thing, which it's just strange for Lost standards, um, the way they've edited it. Um, But we have Alex asking Ben what happened with Locke. Uh, And Ben says, Jacob, uh, Ben says, tells the others that Jacob wants everything to happen right now. So we get Ben ordering Ryan. We get Ryan in uh, to the camp. And I, I love uh, Ryan. If I take my Ted best, that I can get there and get it done. Like I want to know who Ryan's Ten best is. Definitely a spin-off. Um, <laughs> that and the Aaron reboot. It's <laughs> yeah, those two. Um, I do like they say. Well, Juliet may not be ready, and this is classic Ben Linus. Then we'll take all the women, and if any of the men get in the way, kill them. Like, that's great. Take mm. all the women. 
I mean, there's a lot of women there. He's only taking his 10 best, Ben. Um, <laughs> and this is where you mentioned with the rabbit. I thought I was getting rabbit. Um, Alex uh, tells Carl to go to the camp, grab the outrigger, and that kind of ties in with uh, what happened at the beginning of the episode. And you mentioned calling out Juliet as a spy. Uh, and what does Jack say to Daniel? Like, oh, have have we got the dynamite done or something? Not even close or something like that. Uh, so say you suggest, how about we shoot the dynamite? Um, and Rousseau wants to be part of it, but he, Jack, the leader, orders Danielle to take everyone to the radio tower. Uh, as he says earlier in the episode, like, you called me a leader? Or, uh, I'm making decisions now. Um, I love that. Like, he's got a point in a way. I don't, I don't agree with his uh, all of his decisions, but I like that he comes around to, okay, we've got to deal with the others, but we've also got to get the hell off this island. There's a boat waiting for us. I just love the conflict that he has in this episode with kind of like dealing with this. Like, I know we've had a lot of this before, but I just, I just love how Matthew Fox handles this throughout this episode and kind of like, you know, he kind of goes from just being so demanding, like, I'm the lady you said I was, and then kind of like dealing with the conflict later on with sort of just seeing really struggling with this leadership position. Mm. Uh, and I think, it, like, you mentioned how it's kind of like part one of a three-part finale, and obviously we're going to get the huge twist in uh, the, the final, the actual final, which I think kind of just it all ties in well to that with him struggling, like, in the future and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, 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 I huge props to Matthew Fox. I think he's great in this episode. Yeah, where I is mean, he? Yeah, where is he? Jack does have some good stuff in this episode, That that's for sure. Uh, I do like, though, that... Daniel, you're going to take everyone to the radio tower. And Charlie, still up for that swim? Um, I can't swim, remember, Jack. <laughs> you said. I don't swim. <laughs> I've said a lot of things, Jack. Um, <laughs> I just want attention. <laughs> you are, like, everybody. <laughs> I was in drive shop. <laughs> um, Claire, Claire is, of course, annoyed that Charlie... Why are you going for the swim? Um... <laughs> uh, and oh, Charlie tells Claire, well, don't worry about me when I'm gone. Which, of course, we she thinks when I've gone swimming. But as viewers, we know when he says, don't worry about me when I'm gone. Mm. It's a little sad. And, of course, we, we have our opinions on Claire. But you can't deny this is a sweet relationship. And this is their last moment together. And mm. it is quite a sad thing. And he says, don't worry about me when I'm gone. And when they walk off and we see the the ring sitting in Aaron's Aaron's cradle, it's it's very sad. Do we ever see it again? Um, the ring? Yeah. I think it pops up in the season four premiere, but that's sad. I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. Um, this is how good this show is, that I hate Claire. I hate Charlie. Getting emotional thinking of all of this stuff. Why do how well you they hate do their me, character. Noah? Why do you hate me? Uh, we get classic Bernard shooting the cans and he's volunteering. Like, it makes <laughs> no sense, but I'm not complaining. I love Bernard showing up to want to do shooting. Surely, surely, surely you thought he was going to die. Like, it's just, to me, it just, it screams of mm. setup of there being... Like, we need the... somebody to die. Yeah, like, that is, to me, is like, it's yeah, like the arts from season one. That just, it seems so obvious that, like, he's going to die. Mm. That's true. I'm actually surprised that 
they didn't kill someone off in the conflict there. Um, but yeah, now that I think about it, it does seem like set up for that. But it is great. Uh, Maybe it's a red herring. Maybe yeah. there was an ad of like someone will die, and yeah. you think it's Bernard. I mean, I guess it would take away from the Charlie thing if they had two deaths in the episode. Um, you wouldn't even remember that Bernard died. Come on. <laughs> uh, I do like... Is it Rose that says, uh, I liked you better since you got back, yeah. Jack. Uh, yep. You're almost an optimist. <laughs> That's a nice uh, line. Uh, I oh, like I it, Rose, Rose telling Jack off. Missed yeah, she's telling one of the Jack few people... Off. <laughs> Well, Rose telling saucy stories. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more, Rose. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, I love. We're talking about the struggle about the relationship of the leader and Saeed and Jack. It's almost friendly fire. They've been going back and forth, but it's not like they're they want to kill each other. Uh, but I do like this moment where Saeed forces Jack to go to the radio tower. Mm. Uh, if you're going to be a leader, then you need to lead our people. It, the face, it just adds the to... face there from Matthew Fox. Sorry, Jack, that. the yeah. facial act, but like the facial act he does. Struggle. Oh, it's so good. It's it's just like just that scene there alone. Like it's just just you can see that internal struggle with him. It's just so goddamn good. It's called the Matthew Fox struggle, and it the is. sound effect that goes along with it is <laughs> as Joey Tribbiani would call it. It's the smell the fart method. Yeah, Matthew Fox does a lot of that. Um, <laughs> but I, I say it has a point, and I like I like this dynamic between the two, and it's a good end to this back and forth, the kind of leadership thing that, and it's, it's quite funny because Jack's going to go off and do the thing that Saeed wanted to do. And Saeed is staying and doing the, the thing that Jack wanted to do. So it is the ultimate compromise really. Um, so he's going to lead them to the radio tower. Saeed's going to stay. Uh, I do like, yeah, this afternoon you said you were our leader. It's time for you to act like one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. I really do like the Jack stuff this week, too. Um, then the saddest moment of the episode. Hurley comes to Charlie and Desmond. Oh. Poor Hurley. He just wants to be involved. And he says that he wants to come with them. And Hurley, you can't. And, of course, Charlie knows that this is a suicide mission at this point. So to get convince him to not come, he's... You can't come because you're too fat. Aww. You wouldn't fit in the boat, and it's 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 heartbreaking to think that this is the way they had to say goodbye to each other because it was the only way that Charlie could make sure Hurley was safe. So this is the last time they ever interact in at least the living world, and. Isn't it just so... You always think of these kind of like, what was my last conversation with someone and whatnot. It is heartbreaking that this had to be their their end. And he, of course, Charlie's intentions are purely good, but he's just digging into early. And of course, they have their little hug and I love you, man. Yeah, whatever, I love you too. That's it. Yeah. It's the biggest kind of buddy friendship of the the show, and that's their goodbye. It's yeah, I mean, it's it's the one scene I think in this whole episode that really legitimately makes me feel emotional because it is just it's such a you know 
just everything about this scene. And it kind of then it just reminds me of the scene that we're going to get with Hurley after Charlie's death at the beach. Oh, like, stop. Like, when it's he, just... When he tells Claire. Oh, it's just, it's so, yeah. And, you know, like, it, it's, a, it's a moment where you kind of, you take this whole thing where it's like, it's harsh when he's like, oh, but you can't, you're too fat or you're too big. Like, you're like, holy fuck, ouch. And then kind of just, the way he runs up and hugs him, like, it's just like. (laughs) It's going to be a rough couple of weeks watching these episodes. Uh, I will cry. Yeah. No, I, this is, I, yeah, I I will too. (laughs) We'll cry together. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Bring back uh, (laughs) Boone. Yeah, it's it's really sad. Uh, This is. The same thing with Clara and Charlie's subtle relationship. This is another one that these two are like best buddies, but it's never like they always, they're not always going out of their way to say like, oh, look, it's my best friend. (laughs) They just show us. They don't tell us. It's the same thing with Claire. They don't tell us this is a relationship. Like the love triangle of the main characters is definitely the definition of tell, not show. But with Charlie and Claire and Charlie and Hurley, it's it's show, don't tell. They're not always saying, look, here's my girlfriend, Claire, or here's my best friend, Hurley. But they just show us through their interactions, the way they're always in scenes together, the way they're talking, that of all the people on the island, these two were the closest friends, and they bonded the closest in terms of a friendship. And this is the last time they talk to each other. And <laughs> I think maybe even more sad than Charlie's actual drowning is the scene that you talked about in season four where Hurley breaks down. Mm. I'm thinking about that now, and I think I cry more at that than at the actual death. Um, and Jorge Garcia, like, he went to the Michael Emerson Act School of Acting for that. But whoops, that's season four. <laughs> We're still on season three. It's not happened yet. Um, but, yeah. I was I was choking up at this scene, knowing in hindsight what happened, um, and just the casual Hurley, yeah, whatever, I love you too, and walks off, thinking I'll see you in what an hour or whatever. <sighs> Jin will be the oh, don't talk about Jin and drowning. <laughs> I'm an emotional wreck now. So glad Boone didn't drown. No, well, he did, but Jack saved him. <laughs> Nearly did. Joe, <laughs> <laughs> all of our favourite characters drowned. Jin, Sun, Charlie, Joanna, um, almost Boone. <laughs> so we learned that Jin will be the third shooter. I mean, I love Jin, but it always seems a bit weird that they get him involved in these things because I would say speaking the same language is a big benefit when you're about to go to war with some people and you need to communicate. But... They're all shooting and he's just standing there. Now? <laughs> yeah. like, it just seems like, I get he wants to help, but it never seems like the most appropriate person to have along on a mission. Um, but he's going to be the third shooter along with Bernard and Saeed. <laughs> that, that amazing uh, army trio of Saeed, Bernard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, Jim was in the military, but so is every male who lives in Korea. Um, Are you and, saying that you're in the military? Well, shh. <laughs> <laughs> military um, dodger, military dodger. <laughs> uh, 
uh, it is compulsory for Korean males to be in the military. So he was probably, let's face it, he was probably not in the military. military. I'm he probably so did some... glad we come from a country without his oh. <laughs> <laughs> So am I. I'm, I'm too much of a coward and too I lazy to do this. I would be screwed. <laughs> yeah, you're telling me. I mean, in fairness, uh, most of the males that I talk to have been in the military, but their military service has not been like, oh, you go to this like event and act as security and like, not to diminish what they do, but... Well, I guess when North Korea like, is above you, like in, on the border, that is, um, you kind of, you know... Crazy neighbour next door has a couple of nukes. Uh, you probably want to be prepared. Yeah. Um, I, I like to think that Bernard was maybe, maybe in the, back in the day. Uh, oh, I, I think maybe uh, Bernard was a Vietnam draft dodger. I could see that. Probably. Why Where is it only fashion? men? Sexist. Why can't women shoot? <laughs> yeah. Why can't Kate do it? She's always volunteering to do shit. Why can't Rose do it? Uh, yeah, well, that's true. Why can't Claire do it? Off. We see her later on with a squirrel baby with a gun, like. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Hurley and Claire leave together, and that's where we see that Charlie's left the drive shaft ring in Aaron's cot. So sad. Even even if we thought he was going to live, this is still emotional. Um, so Desmond, Charlie, they get to the rope, and they arrive at the looking glass, uh, and Charlie Charlie gives Desmond the note and. Um, basically explains that it's the greatest hits and please hand it on to Claire. Um, <gasps> the five best moments of my sorry excuse for a life. That just makes me sad. Because right? he's not even yet 30 and this is the end for Charlie. Um, and then Desmond suggests, well, I'll, I'll take your place. Maybe I'm supposed to go. Maybe that's why I keep having the visions. Uh, I like, what about your girl, Penny? What about your girl? I like that kind of that's touching bro down moment. Uh, so Charlie goes, oh yeah, uh, why don't you go then? Uh, what can I do? And this is the one cheesy moment I think of when Desmond's like, you can tell me where the weight is. Like, oh, it's behind you. Bonk. Um, <laughs> it just seems a bit cringy of like, oh. You can tell me where it is just to force him to turn around. Like, they didn't really need that line. But Charlie knocks Desmond out. He's going to go in. Um, what if he killed so him? Charlie... Like, I mean, <laughs> the whole one punch can kill thing. Like yeah. Desmond? 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 Oh, shit. <laughs> so Charlie dives down. It's a great shot, I think, of oh, him yeah, in the brilliant. water diving down. Like, really well directed and really well shot. And he dives through the moon pool into the station. Yes, I did it. I'm here. Hurry. And then dun, 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 two girls with guns come running through, and it's going to be Helsinki uh, repeat. Yeah. Um, isn't this the start of some porn films? Like, <laughs> uh, But this is kind of – it's a little shocking that out of nowhere these two girls just come charging through. Wouldn't say it's on par with a lot of the cliffhangers we've had this season but again i kind of view this as part one of the finale anyway so um yeah it's not the strongest of cliffhangers but it is like oh damn that's i love a, the it's a wrench in the work so. i love the look on charlie's face <laughs> kind of just that like half sort of like oh shit mixed with a bit of smiling on his face like <laughs> i don't know there's just the way he sort of reacts to it but yeah, I love the way like these two women just come running out with guns. Go back to my point. Women can shoot. Like, there we go. Look at yeah. this. The others aren't sexist. 
yeah, case in point. Yeah. Although let's let's take a note next week of Ryan's ten best. Let's see if there's any women in there. <laughs> yes. Probably not. Would, <laughs> I know Tom's in there, and let's face it, he's not one of the ten best. If he is, then they're in trouble in the, from the get go. Um, well, like, they might be sexist, are, but they're not homophobic, so you know. <laughs> the others are not homophobic. <laughs> uh, they have pride at the the Dharma Village every year. <laughs> they're not homophobic, but massively sexist. Incredibly sexist. <laughs> Um, well, they were getting Juliet to make cheeseburgers and do all this stuff when she is uh, a, a, a doctor. Yeah, like, come uh, on. Why does a woman have to make the sandwiches? Like, it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? Uh, but yeah, that's the ending of the episode. So it's setting us up for the two-part finale. Again, not the greatest ending, but it's 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 getting us ready for what's going to come uh, next week. I like these two girls. We'll talk more about them next week. Um, so yeah, that was greatest hits. Really, this episode is just a setup for the finale, but that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It's getting us amped up and ready to go, and it, it's a great setup. I think uh, a lot of dramatic stuff mixed with a lot of emotional stuff. Um, so just some trivia uh, in Charlie's fourth greatest hit. Young Charlie is about to jump in the pool when a voice from a little boy can be heard in the background saying. Desmond, come on. <laughs> I've never heard that. I've seen this show nine times, ten times. Never heard that, and I love that. That's cool. Hmm. Um, this began a theory that Desmond is in Charlie's past. Don't know about that, but I like the the Easter egg of someone yelling Desmond. Uh, that's super cool, actually. Um, uh, Drive Shaft's van has a vanity plate, Y-R-E-2-O-L which is meant to be read as you're too old, spelled backwards is lottery or losery, <laughs> reference to the band's popularity. What? Oh, yeah. So, oh. like, as a band, you're going to get a van and go, oh, we're losers. <laughs> so let's put that on there. Yeah, okay. Um, I liked the Desmond bit <laughs> trivia better. As Charlie puts his guitar in the rain, we see a sticker that reads, reads I was here moments ago. This is most likely a reference to Flashes Before Your Eyes, where Desmond was, finds Charlie in the same location. God, this show was in-depth with those kind of things. This is why I love this show. Mm. A lot of this trivia I've not I've not ever seen for this episode. Um, the play, Oh, you'll like this one. This is right up your alley. The place where Charlie is busking across from the Covent Garden's <laughs> underground station does not exist. There is no newsstand there or lighter theatre entrance. Busking is also prohibited. <laughs> well, well station look, they may, they may be good at doing little subtle things to other characters being here, but they just suck at geography, okay? Uh, how dare they not film in everything in Hawaii? Um... I've been to Covent Garden, so I should have been going, me, 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 me. Um, let's see. Uh, the T-shirt that Charlie wears in this episode has four Chinese words, Yongji, Jinnan, which means courage and faith. I definitely butchered those things. Um, the initials on the ring that Liam gives Charlie, DS stands for Dexter Stratton, the name of their great-grandfather on the mother's side. Uh, and... Interestingly, in season one, both Charlie and Liam are seen t- together wearing DS rings. Either this is a continuity area or 
era, or perhaps once the band became successful, they had more replica rings made. Or maybe they um, just love Nintendo DSs. Or that. It was around that time. Uh, oh, this is sad. Echo's Church can be seen in this episode. Remember him? Who? Yeah. Hello. Um, let's see. Quick production notes. This is the first episode of Season 3 to feature Rose and Bernard. Uh, Vincent briefly appears uh, when Hurley and Claire leave the beach. Where is he? Uh, well, yeah, speaking of Rose and Bernard, but Vincent's been gone for a while. Um, <laughs> uh, the opening shot of the flashback that shows Charlie first met Claire is reused from pilot part one. So the opening of it's him very walking, well edited, that scene. I think it's it's very, like the way you've got the, the wreckage and everything, like it's very well edited. Yeah. Uh, so we'll move on, but I do like the first blooper continuity area of uh, when Jack, Julie, and Cy are discussing the dangerous theme. Uh, Charlie tells Jack that he was junior swim champion and he can hold his breath for minutes. But when Joanna was drowning, Charlie yells, alerting him to the drowning, saying, I don't swim, I don't swim. Though he well, may have been I, lying. I guess he says, I don't swim, not I can't swim. Like, <laughs> I don't. It's like I mean, you know, fair enough. Like, <laughs> no, swimming's not my thing. No, I'm English. Like, <laughs> um, I mean, in fairness, if they had cut out the bit of the greatest hits moment, you could have made the case that he was lying to Jack, and he just knows he had to do it because of Desmond's vision. But the fact that there's an actual flashback kind of destroys that. Uh, so, questions and answers. We have one major one. What is the, the, what do you call it, the cable that Saeed found way back in Season 1, Episode 9? We can answer that. Um, yeah, finally, people who say this show never answers things. This was Season 1, Episode 9. This is Season 3, Episode 21. We have an answer. So questions... Nice. Don't cross it off. Do we have anything about the French? Uh, not quite. The French signal. I don't think we had anything about it being jammed, but I guess we've, that clears that up. Um, mm, jam. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think we did. I just randomly wanted a quiche. I was thinking about when we used to talk about quiches on Double O Seven. Mm, quiche. Oh, <laughs> I made a lasagna last night. Oh, yum. I want lasagna. A lot of work, and you can't get lasagna in Korea, so it made me very happy. I um, Mallory made a nice lasagna the other week. It was quite good. Mine was better. Sure. <laughs> we could have a bake-off. You could be the judge. That sounds like your dream. <laughs> Why? Because I'm fat? Like... <laughs> wow! Oh, oh, the fat guy wants to be a judge at a cooking show. Oh, I can... Ah, you're fat. Well, I didn't say you can't come on the the boat trip, like Charlie was saying. No, I was saying that because like you boats. like you like lasagna. So does Garfield. You didn't ask him. You asked the fat guy on the podcast. Well, I asked the only guy on the podcast. You're on here too. Well, I would love to be a judge in a lasagna eating competition. I don't know what you're so offended about. It sounds like a dream. I'm not offended. It's 2019. I'm just being a dickhead. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> okay so i don't think there's any more questions um i'm seeing the lasagna um mm. so 
where are you going to rank this? Is this one of Lost's greatest hits, or is this merely a B-side? Forgotten track. Milly, like Milly Vanilli. Um, it is a buy, and I have ranked this at number 25 out of 60, 70, 70. So is, is this your... Oh, sorry. No, no, you ask the question, please, good sir. No, I want to know it's below... What? It's below and above. (laughs) Oh, right. (laughs) Awkward silence. Um, It is below (laughs) three minutes and above not in Portland. Hmm. Um, Is this the only Charlie one you've bought? Uh, I rented the moth. And I binned Homecoming and Fire. Well, so yes, it is the only one I bought. Look at that. Did, what did I do for Homecoming? Um, you, the esteemed Noah Groves, for the episode that was <laughs> Homecoming, uh, rented it. Uh, and binned the moth and Fire Plus Water. Uh, so we're breaking the Charlie curse. I'm going to buy. I think it is Aww. one of one of Lost's greatest hits. Uh not not amazing. There's a lot of better episodes, but there's so much good stuff in here. It's an amazing setup for the finale, and I like the flashback structure, and it's quite an emotional and tense episode. Some good Jack Saeed stuff, and as much as I don't like Charlie, there's some great stuff with him this week. Um, so, yeah, for his last episode, we've broken the Charlie curse. We've both finally bought a Charlie episode. Um, hooray. Did you find your list of rankings? Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I have a new computer, so... Well, it's been a couple of weeks since you last said that. Jesus. Yeah, but I have a life. (laughs) I will find it. Remind me. I will find it. I'll find my list. Um, I I, I remember Greatest Hits was definitely in the top 40, I'm sure. Top 40? Um, Yeah, top 40 hit. Um... Next week, we've made it. The big two-part finale through the looking glass. Not only the finale of this season, hands down one of the most memorable episodes of Lost of all time. It's going to be such a pleasure to talk about it. Two of the biggest moments in the show's history come in part two. Part one is great too. Lost does finales amazing, and this is up there as one of, if not the best. So I'm very excited. Not just to get through season three, it's been a long one, but it's going to be a joy to talk about this episode because it, it is simply a great finale, so I can't wait. I think our next two weeks, yeah, are very, very good and, you know, leading up into maybe the greatest episode of Lost of all time. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, if we've come a long way. This season has taken us fucking forever to record. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've... You know, we started recording when this was airing on TV and we're just finally getting through <laughs> it now. Um, but, yeah, I, it's it's a long way from where we were in the cages, as you said, like a couple of weeks ago. So, um, a tale of two seasons, or two halves. A tale of two halves. Definitely. Um, yeah, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, let us know what you think about Greatest Hits or Charlie or uh, Season 3 of Lost, Facebook, Twitter, our website, oznetwork.com, all that, all that jazz. Um, 
Yeah, so I, I am I'm very excited to get into this finale. Um, and yeah, that's it. Stay tuned. We'll be back. Uh, so to end out, uh, my name's Noah, and we're gonna take all of the women. My name is Ben, and don't be daft, Noah. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.